Okay, Jesse, last week featured some pretty serious spousal betrayal. What is the story this week? When wealthy Texas oil man Jimmy Jose met a young rodeo beauty queen named Rhonda Glover, sparks flew. One child and 15 years down the road, however, someone ended up dead and accusations flew of drug craze, devil worship, and diabolical plots. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder. Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about shocking scenes, broken dreams, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. And as always, if you enjoy the show, pretty please love slash murder a five star rating on your podcast app. Subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show more directly, head on over to patreon.com slash lovemurderpod where you can learn all about the different tiers of support. Speaking of Patreon, we are thrilled as always this week to welcome and shout out a new set of incredible patrons. Big old welcome to Allison C and Chandler O, Victoria J and Shri S, Sally V and Andrew W, and Stephanie P and Sam F. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And thanks so much for being patrons. And thanks all of you guys just for tuning in. We love you too. Even if you're not a patron, you don't have to be. We do. So yeah, Andy, this one, I was just telling Andy before we got a recording that for some reason, this was a really hard one for me to write and not in the ways that usually are hard ones, like children being injured and stuff like that. I think it was just a complex case that has a lot of factors going into it and trying to figure out if the right course of action was done, if justice was served in this case. It's kind of complicated. So I think we should just jump into it. What do you think? Definitely. On July 25th, 2004, the police arrived at a beautiful home in the upscale Mission Oaks neighborhood of Austin, Texas. That morning, a woman named Janice Van Every had called them to do a welfare check on the occupants. Janice said that her 38-year-old niece, Rhonda Glover, was in an on-again, off-again, long-term relationship with the owner of the house, 55-year-old wealthy oil man, Jimmy Jost. The aunt was concerned because the couple had a 9-year-old son and neither parent was supposed to have custody of him. Following a custody dispute in December of the previous year, the court had placed the child in the care of Rhonda's mother. But Rhonda had fled with the boy and no one had seen either of them since. The aunt had hoped to find Rhonda and the child with Jimmy, or in the very least, speak to Jimmy to see if he knew where they were. She had gone to the house the night before, but found it dark and silent. No one came when she rang the doorbell. The next morning, she returned and once again tried to knock on the door, ring the doorbell, but no one was coming. She also tried to call Jimmy, but there was no answer. When she turned the door handle, she was surprised to find that the door was unlocked and she could step into the home. But when she did, she began to feel like something was very wrong. There was an eerie silence to the house. She shouted inside to ask if anyone was home, but no one answered. Properly spooked and now deeply concerned, Janice called the police. Almost immediately, the responding officers realized Janice's instincts were correct. 
something horrific had happened inside the upscale residence. Upon entering, they were met with a foul smell of something rotting. Officer Richard Paez said they also were greeted with large insects throughout the house, a possible indication that there was a dead body. The bottom floor was clear, but as they made their way up the stairs, the gut-churning smell of decay intensified. At the top of the stairs, the officers could clearly see a deceased person lying farther down the hallway. At that point, they called their supervisor to get crime scene technicians and investigators to the house stat. The homicide detectives quickly determined that the victim was 55-year-old Jimmy Jost. Jimmy's body was riddled with bullets, bloodstains covered the rug, and he appeared to be in an advanced state of decomposition. So they believed that he had been murdered a few days earlier. I was curious if it was like days or weeks or whatever. Yeah, it was more under a week likely, but it had been at least, I think, five days, just about. The police combed the house for any sign of Rhonda and their nine-year-old son, Ronnie, but there was none. No one else was in the home, dead or alive, which raised a chilling question. Had Rhonda and the child been injured or abducted? Or was Rhonda the one who had unloaded a clip in her lover and baby daddy, as well as her benefactor of the last 15 years? We'll find out. Rhonda on today's love murder. Yeah, you know what? There's more than one Rhonda in the story, too. What? (laughs) Yeah, you don't usually get a pile of Rhondas. No, pile of Rhondas is very rare. Guys, my mom's name is Rhonda, which is funny. She's such a Rhonda. She's peak Rhonda. So let's go back and talk about our missing beauty queen. Rhonda Glover was born in the Houston, Texas area on July 26, 1966. Rhonda's parents were both young and adventurous when they had her. I believe that they both were 20 years old. Her dad raced motorcycles and did demolition derby. Her mother worked at a life insurance company. And that seems like a pretty good plan given her husband's hobbies. (laughs) They were a really nice family and it was a very loving home to grow up in. Rhonda grew into a beautiful and athletic woman, but there was always drama in her life. The theme, I think, of this episode is drama. It seems like... There was something about Rhonda that just made everything in her life very intense, let's say. There was a drama llama following her around, if you will. (laughs) It was definitely a drama llama in her life. She was quick to confrontation and her high school friends described her as erratic. She was the type of person who'd be total besties with you one day and then the next day she would drop you for some small insignificant reason that you didn't even remember doing. What's her sign? So she is born, I think I said her birthday, hold on, July 26th. I guess on the cusp of cancer and Leo. Mm, Yep, that makes sense. I could see that. Yeah, so she was just kind of like a frenemy to a lot of people. Now, Rhonda herself was interviewed for the book that I used as a primary source, which is called Fatal Beauty by Burl Bearer. And the author, Burl, did interview her, and she denied that she was the bully in high school and that she was this frenemy-type character. She said that she herself was bullied and that people had always targeted her and mistreated her. But that's kind of like her go-to mindset in life. Even like with her mom, her mom cared very deeply for her and always wanted to help her out and always wanted to try to make her life easier but she would tell people terrible things about her mom and say that she was unsympathetic and had bad intentions for her and was just trying to make her life miserable when really her mom was trying to protect her a lot of the time yeah it's everyone else's fault always 
Yes, exactly. She has a big victim mentality. Despite all evidence contrary, she thinks she's the victim in every situation. And she starts the drama and then is like, I hate drama. Yeah. I don't know why <laughs> the drama llama follows me everywhere. <laughs> exactly. It's like, babe, because it's you're the drama llama. It's you. You're it's the you. problem. It's you. Yeah. Also, I got to watch one of my favorite shows. Andy, you know what it is. Forensic Files. <laughs> no, although that's definitely like top three. Scorned Love Kills. Oh my God, yeah. I think that tops Forensic. Scorned Love Kills is my absolute favorite, guys, even though there's like long, cheesy sex reenactments. Uh, but you kind of, <laughs> I mean, you kind of like are there for it. I'm kind of there for it, I gotta say. And they play the creepy music. <laughs> so I actually found out about this case years ago when I saw this episode and I got to revisit it, which is still is valuable to revisit because they have some of his friends Jimmy's friends on the show and people that we'll talk about in this episode. So Rhonda made frenemies and joined the rodeo and participated in Texas beauty pageants, some of which were televised. It was a big deal. And I think she won a couple titles, but nothing too crazy. I don't think she won Miss Houston. I think she was just in it. And she also participated in Miss Texas USA. So we're not talking about like Miss America over here. But she was really beautiful. She was tall. She was athletic, thin type body. She had a mesmerizing face. And she was pretty enough to get noticed by Hollywood. In 1989, she and her friend Leanne Locken were featured in an Adam Sandler movie called Going Overboard, The Unsinkable Shecky Moskowitz. What? A real deep cut Adam Sandler movie right there. Yeah, so if the name Leanne Locken sounds familiar to any of you. It did sound familiar to me. So I was like, maybe she became a movie star. I googled her and she's a real housewife of Dallas. Stop it. Yeah. So her like high school buddy that she went to LA with and tried to get famous with made it. She made it to the big time, the Bravo big time. Mm. Hey, we all have different aspirations, Andy. Okay. Do people aspire to be on housewives now? Is that like an- Oh my God. Yes. Why do you think people do it? Uh... I don't know. It's like Jerry Springer meets Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach. It's great. I thought that they were like nominated by the city. <laughs> They're nominated by the city. Like there's a government, a small government council. Not Andy Cohen who gets to decide who gets to be on Real Housewives. No, it could be. Andy Cohen could be in charge of the elections. But I think the town like comes together and says like... <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? be a good representative <laughs> yes. of all of New Jersey? Let's bring our best and brightest to the table and then flip it over. <laughs> Touche. Oh, boy. Yeah. So anyways, Leanne ended up a real housewife. And Rhonda, well, we're going to find out what happened to Rhonda here. She had a couple of dramatic relationships before setting her eyes on 40-year-old oil man Jimmy at a black tie fundraiser when she was only 23 years old. So there's a big age difference here, 17 years. But there was immediate attraction. Jimmy was smart, wealthy, fun-loving. He was basically everything that Rhonda was looking for. And Rhonda was young and vibrant. She was clearly a good-looking person. The only hitch in the get-along was that at the time that they met, Jimmy was in an eight-year-long relationship with a woman also named... Rhonda. Oh, he does the old Rhonda swap. He did. He did the Rhonda switcheroo. So Rhonda Glover, or Rhonda, Rhonda number two, 
wasn't into cheaters, which is good for her, right? We hear all the time about these women coming on into relationships with men who already have relationships or marriages. She said, no, I'm going to be your number one Rhonda or no Rhonda at all. But apparently they kept running into each other. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We all know situations like this. Yeah. Number one Rhonda or bust, baby. But they apparently kept running into each other all over town because she was going to these high-end fundraisers, high-society events, and so was he because he came from a family that had a lot of money and he also had earned more on top of his family's money. So basically they kept running into each other until they felt it was undeniable and he did break up with Rhonda number one and start dating Rhonda Glover. Rhonda would later say, I always did like smart guys, especially smart and funny guys. Jimmy was both smart and funny. Jimmy's friends said that Jimmy was hook, line, and sinker in love with Rhonda. Rhonda number two. Right from the get-go, Rhonda could get anything that she wanted from Jimmy. Good friend Rocky Navarro said, quote, If Jimmy met a certain type of woman, he was her slave. She owned him. He was powerless and would do anything for her, would give her anything she wanted. And he knew it. He was madly in love with Rhonda. He worshipped her. He loved her more than I could describe. Although they were not married, he treated her as if she were his wife. He provided for her. He bought her multiple houses and cars and provided for her as though she really was his wife. Whoa. Yeah, it looks like he spent millions of dollars on her throughout their 15-year relationship. Her mother even said that she was always having these like fabulous cars and that she could just trade them in whenever she wanted or he'd shuffle them around and get her anything that she wanted at any point. So his parents had been in oil. I think it was generational. It might have even been from his grandfather. But then he was also a really bright guy who had pioneered a new type of drilling, a horizontal style of drilling that helped revolutionize that world. So he was like piling it on. But of course, the oil industry was kind of hit or miss. So his wealth would go like way, 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 way up. And then he wouldn't change anything about his lifestyle. And so downtimes, it also kind of went down. It seems like Jimmy was the type of guy that kind of liked to live on the edge. He liked beautiful women. He liked innovating. And he liked excitement. And Rhonda was a lot of excitement. Did he still have Rhonda number one at this time? No, he totally, when he went all in for Rhonda Glover, he ditched Rhonda number one. Yeah, he was like all in on her. So the problem was that Rhonda might have been too much excitement. She held all the cards in the relationship and she knew it. So she would leave, come back. She was unfaithful, apparently. They had a very tumultuous 15-year-long on-and-off-again thing by the time that Jimmy was discovered dead. So one of these times when they got back together, and I believe this was in the late 90s, Rhonda said that she was pregnant with Jimmy's baby. Jimmy's friends had doubts of the baby's paternity, if it was really his. Oh, really? Yeah. And as far as I know, he is. There wasn't anything written to the contrary other than suggestions, innuendo, and rumors. Yep. So they were kind of concerned. Also, Rhonda was a big partier, so they were a little worried just about the whole situation. But Jimmy was really excited. He was thrilled. He was really excited to be a dad. He thought this was perfect. And Honestly, even more than being a dad, I think that he was so ass over tea kettle in love with Rhonda that he thought maybe by having this baby, 
it would be something that would tie them together. Yeah. And inspire a greater commitment, maybe even get married. Because by all accounts, he wanted to get married and she was the one who did not. Yeah. So maybe like the baby will create some stability and allow her to chill out a little. Exactly. And that's, I think, what he was really hoping for. And I do think that Rhonda tried her best to be a mother. I really do think she did. But again, there's that drama llama happening. And there's some other issues at play here, too, which we're going to get into in a little bit later. The relationship did not improve. So they had the baby, John James Chandler Jost, and they nicknamed him Ronnie. But shockingly, that did not fix their relationship. I think, Andy, we say it every few episodes, but there's two things that will not fix your relationship. What are they? A threesome and a baby. Those are two things people try right at the end. Also, they're like a foursome and a fivesome won't help either, though. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it does threesomes, more sums, foursomes, fivesomes, any of the sums. I'm sure there's somebody out there that was like, we had a threesome and it it really revitalized our sex life. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say for the vast majority of people, bringing more people into the sexual relationship doesn't usually improve the core relationship. It's not a cure. (laughs) No, it's not a cure-all. I don't know if the doctors would recommend it. Yeah, Rhonda was, again, like I said, unfaithful to Jimmy, and she was pretty brazen about it. After she had the baby, she would go out. They'd break up again. I think she was always breaking up with him. Okay. But she'd go out with other guys. Jimmy's friends would see her out at bars, making out with dudes. And then even when they were back together, there were a lot of rumors that she was still unfaithful, even when they were trying to play happy family. Rhonda even attempted to seduce Jimmy's good friend Rocky one night. Whoa, that's ballsy. Yeah. Well, I guess there was this pool party and it was for Rocky was married. And I think that the party was for his kid's birthday. And it was one of those things that started in the afternoon and everyone's drinking by the pool and then the kids go to bed and the adults stay hanging out. And Jimmy was like, hey, it's getting pretty late. We need to take Ronnie home. And she's like, well, you go. I'm having fun. I'll meet you later. So she stayed at his best friend's house swimming in the pool and she was getting wasted. And I guess that Rocky came back out and he was like, "Okay, I think we're like wrapping it up. And she's like, why don't you get in here and F me like that? He's like, we're at my house. We had my kid's party. My wife's in the house. Like, you're Jimmy's, like, basically wife. Like, what are you doing? And apparently she said very flippantly, well, I've screwed all his other friends. So he was, like, the last notch in the belt. Apparently. But you know what's so interesting is that one of his other friends who's on the show makes a statement when they're discussing this on Scorned Love Kills. That it's the oldest trick in the book. Like, if you want to separate a guy, if you want to alienate him from his friends and his support network, you come on to his friends or you sleep with his friends, and then you say that they came on to you or they seduced you or something, you make a very big divide because that forces that man or that woman, because this can go either way, to make a choice. And Rocky said that after that incident happened, he talked to Jimmy about it. And as a result, he didn't end up seeing or talking to Jimmy for a year and a half afterwards. Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah, until he had another breakup with Rhonda and they got back together and managed to repair their relationship. And he, Jimmy apologized to Rocky. But I was thinking about that as far as like, we talk a lot about coercive control and 
for the most part, I think in most of our episodes, it's usually the man trying to control the woman, alienating her from her friends, her family, making sure she doesn't have a job and can't work. Support group. Yeah, a support group. And it seems like Rhonda may have been trying to do something similar, whether she was doing it intentionally or not, or she was just a messy person that slept with whoever was in front of her. I don't know. But it did strike me as an abusive move. Jimmy's friends also claimed that Rhonda was not just emotionally abusive to Jimmy, but she was also physically abusive to Jimmy, that they had witnessed attacks that Jimmy would brush off and that he sometimes had bruises and marks on his body. Whoa. There was one couple that they were friendly with that said they watched Rhonda beat him up while she was pregnant. She had gone over to their house. They were having like a dinner party and she was pregnant and she was drinking. And Jimmy was like, I think you've had enough. You're pregnant. Like, let's not do that. And he stood up to her for the first time because he's obviously looking out for his child. He usually never stepped in when she was acting a fool because I don't know if he was scared of her or that was just their dynamic. But this time, of course, he's like, hey, 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 like, let's not do that. You're pregnant. And apparently she threw him on the ground and started beating him up like fists, like punching him while she was pregnant. Whoa. So it wasn't just speculation. People had actually witnessed this abuse, but we don't often talk about, especially when it's a man and a woman, the stigma around being a man who's being abused by his partner. And I don't think we talk about it actually even, we should talk about it more in non-hetero relationships as well. But I think specifically in this circumstance, in this time frame, him being a wealthy Texas oil man and having an image to protect, I don't think he wanted to reach out to anyone to get help for that because I think there was a huge stigma, at least he felt like, of Rhonda beating him up. Yeah, no, what, where is he going to go? And that's another thing that Burl Bearer made a point in the book where he talks about how there's not enough domestic abuse shelters for people, but out of them, they're for the most part, now this was published a while ago, they're almost exclusively women's shelters, that there's not a lot of resources. And I think this was published like a decade ago, but there's not a lot of resources for men who are in these situations. I think it's getting a little bit better, but it still, it helps to raise awareness. Because people often don't feel bad about this and uh, like bad about these men that are in this situation. And they also even focus on, I think, sometimes the wrong parts of this. Like they kept saying that Rhonda, though a woman, was tall and athletic and she lifted weights. So she was actually in a better physical condition to beat Jimmy than he was to her. But I don't think it matters. I really, it doesn't matter what size you are. You can still be a victim of abuse from somebody who is smaller than you. I don't think that's a qualifying factor. And hopefully we will move away from thinking that that doesn't happen just because somebody has a larger size, let's say. I think it makes sense for the author to mention that so that it can create an accurate picture for the reader in this instance, but it shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of things like just because someone's smaller than you doesn't mean that they can't beat you up also he said something really interesting and I don't know where he got the statistic but he also said that men who are abused or witness domestic abuse in their homes are 1,000 times more likely to enact abuse on their romantic partner than men who are not and women are 600 times more likely if they have witnessed or been the victim of domestic abuse in their home 
makes perfect sense, but it's a crazy statistic. So I just want you guys to know if you're out there parenting and you had a really rough childhood and you are breaking the cycle with your child, I am so impressed with you because you're giving yourself and your child a different legacy and their relationship with their children is going to be completely different because of what you've done. So hats off to you guys. Our one very heartfelt, sincere mo moment of a true crime podcast right now. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it totally makes sense that they're repeating what they were taught. Yeah, because you don't know anything else when you're a kid. You think that's the way the world works. Oh, man. Yeah. So Jimmy's friends are saying that Rhonda abused him. Rhonda is going to say later that essentially she was abused by Jimmy. And some of her friends say that occasionally she had bruises and other marks that would indicate abuse as well. Although I don't believe that anyone ever witnessed Jimmy ever being abusive to Rhonda. And in fact, most of the people, although they were mostly Jimmy's friends, so we have to take this with a grain of salt, said that he was actually extremely submissive when it came to Rhonda. But there is one episode, and this happened in 2000. Ronnie, their son, was about six years old. According to court records, Rhonda was intoxicated while the family was doing it overnight at a country club. And I guess Rhonda was drinking at the bar and Jimmy went to put Ronnie to bed. And Rhonda ended up coming back to the room, but she was pretty wasted. And they got into some sort of terrible fight. The police were called and Rhonda stated that Jimmy had struck her. He had kicked her while she was down and he had even wrapped his hands around her throat to choke her. And apparently Ronnie had been yelling. I think that there was a witness that heard him saying, don't hurt mommy or something. So we know that something happened. Rhonda did have redness and slight swelling on her right cheek and there were bruises like on her body. Eventually, Jimmy pleaded no contest, ostensibly to make the thing go away. According to the book Fatal Beauty, Jimmy's friends did not believe that this is how the incident went down. I guess that she had said that she wanted to take back the charges. She wanted to drop the charges, but the state of Texas was not allowing that to happen. They were going to go forward, which... Honestly, I think is a pretty good policy because how many times have we talked about people who, I mean, we were talking about this recently in the Enoch 8 case about how the now deceased wife decided to drop charges against her husband, hoping that the whole thing would just teach him a lesson. Yeah, because he probably threatened her further. Yeah, and how it wasn't investigated any any further. So I actually kind of appreciate the fact that they were like just not blanketly going to allow her to drop the charges. And eventually he did plead no contest, but it was almost essentially just to make the thing go away. And so Rocky Navarro said, Jimmy went along with that, even though it was Rhonda who was the violent one. He never raised a hand to her except to defend himself. I'm sure of that. He was not a violent man at all. Rhonda admitted that she probably did take back her statement that Jimmy had been the aggressor. She was perfectly clear in her recollection that she tried to drop the charges. I had a conversation with Rhonda in Houston, said another friend. And she told me the same thing, that things didn't happen the way she had reported that they did. That is the full extent of any known official claim later retracted that Jimmy ever lifted a finger to Rhonda. 
Jimmy was a great guy with a lot of class, said Danny Davis, another friend. Everyone liked him and enjoyed being with him until he started getting into drugs with her. I didn't see him at that time as he was up in Austin and was pretty much isolating himself from his old friends. He would get away from her, pull himself together, and then he'd be the old Jimmy again. Yeah, sounds right. Oh, if he's getting into drugs with her. Yes, and that'll course ratchet up the drama, ratchet up the violence, ratchet up the tension. Take you away from your friends. It's also alienating, like we've seen this tradition. And I mean, it's possible that Rhonda baited him or attacked him, but there's obviously no excuse for any form of violence in relationships. And if somebody is repeatedly attacking you, you have to find a way, because your kid is witnessing this, if not for yourself, to get out of this. Because it's not appropriate that he's hitting her too if he was striking her and she did have injuries. Although we have to always remember too, a lot of times people do self-harm in an effort to hurt somebody else. Absolutely. Which is terrifying that people will go to those lengths. Yeah, well, Rhonda's abusive and scary behavior was not limited to Jimmy. While some claim that Rhonda used Jimmy for his money and there were some allegations that she was a little bit of a gold digger, Rhonda claims that was far from the truth and that she had a successful staffing company in 1998 and 1999. Now, Jimmy's friends say that he funded the business and... Law enforcement would later say that there was no evidence that the business ever turned a profit. So she's kind of exaggerating her lady boss status over here, I think, just a little bit. Hashtag girl boss. (laughs) Hashtag girl boss. I don't know. So in any case, I guess that Rhonda had hired a woman named Kim to work for her. And Kim also concurred what the authorities said, which is that it did not seem like the business was making any money. She said she never saw any money come in and that Rhonda did not come to work most days. However, one day Kim had to call in sick because her four-year-old daughter was very ill. And instead of understanding, like you would imagine a fellow working mom would, Rhonda screamed at her over the phone, calling her an effing bitch and saying that she was going to kill her and her daughter. Yeah, that's real unhinged. This is unhinged. She did not take that far enough, though, because listen to this, Andy. She then, Rhonda, drove to her employee's house and then she ran around beating on the door and windows, screaming that she needed to come out and go to work or she was going to kill her and her daughter. Um, Did she report that to the cops then? She did. She called the police. This is a really bad boss. It's like, I mean, there's a lot of horror stories out here, but like, wow, that one takes the cake. So the police were called and Kim obviously never went back to work. But for some reason, no charges were ever filed. Kim thinks it's because Rhonda was still at the residence and managed to sweet talk the police or something because she doesn't know why it never materialized into greater charges, the harassment. Yeah, that's out there. You'd have to get a restraining order, like, from the office. Like, this office and all of its owners and associates cannot go anywhere near me. Well, I guess Rhonda also tried to get her to come back to work and was like, I'm sorry, it was just, you know, it was a rough day. Like, we'll see you tomorrow, right? And she's like, no, are you crazy? Absolutely not. No, I'm not coming to work. Sorry, lady. It's just so crazy how stress triggers different emotions and actions in people. Yeah, I agree with you. Maybe you shouldn't be girl bossing around, Rhonda. Well, it does make sense 
though, that she was having this outsized reaction in hindsight, because what is known is that at this time, both Rhonda and Jimmy were getting pretty heavily into drugs, which, yeah, may have counted for Rhonda's erratic behavior. She was doing crack cocaine. Oh, yeah. Oh, just the casual crack cocaine. Yeah. And witnesses would come forward to testify that Rhonda would like casually shoot up in front of them. Oh, my God. Whoa. In 2023, instead of a long list of resolutions that just might overwhelm you, try focusing on a few key things that will allow you to feel more balanced, confident and energetic. And with Care Of, you get a routine of products and digital tools to help you feel better than ever. Care Of can help you feel more in control of your health goals this year with personalized guidance, quality products, and encouraging healthy habits so you can see and feel results. Care Of's ingredients are thoughtfully sourced and backed by research, so you can feel good about what you're putting in your body. You can take a short, in-depth quiz about your lifestyle and health goals for a personalized, doctor-backed recommendation taking the guesswork out of what supplements are best suited for you. Yeah, I totally love the quiz and how they package everything. Right now, I am loving the electrolytes. I have been on a skincare journey that has been years and years in the making. Currently, I am dry and I need all of the hydration, especially in the winter, that I can take. And the electrolytes taste great and I feel so much better and more hydrated. Yeah, I was obsessed with the quiz and it really makes you think about so many different factors and elements that play into your overall health and wellness. And I was super excited to be prescribed the rhodiola, which is a vitamin that helps increase energy and stamina, but at the same time, it also helps reduce anxiety, which I thought was an amazing combo formula for a vitamin. Yeah, absolutely. Things that give you energy kind of can make you anxious usually. So it's like a double whammy. Yeah. So it's nice that it helps with both things. Each shipment comes with a customized pamphlet showing you exactly what is in your individual daily packs and why it was recommended specifically for you and your health goals. For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code LOVEMURDER50. Again, to get 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code Love Murder 50. Yeah, Jimmy's friends claimed that he barely drank before Rhonda came into his life and he never did drugs at all. And they said that basically if Jimmy had an addiction, it was to beautiful women. He was like, that was his high. He liked chasing gorgeous women and giving them things. But when he met Rhonda, he ended up starting to use drugs with her to keep up with her and to keep her interested in him. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. I guess with crack cocaine, the party never stops, huh? Rhonda would later claim that it was Jimmy who actually got her into drugs. And she would tell one of her friends that the reason why she tested positive for drugs at this one point was because Jimmy forced her to do drugs in order to give her money that she needed to support their child. So this is a real he said, she said situation. Supporters of Jimmy who as we all recall from the beginning, is deceased, said that the drugs were all Rhonda, that she was abusive. Rhonda's saying that it was all Jimmy. He was abusive. He's the one who got her into drugs and forced her to do them in order to get child support. What is for sure true is that the drugs and this general lifestyle exacerbated Rhonda's mental health condition. 
Several times in early 2003, Rhonda called 911 to report that there were demons in her wall and other delusions. Mm, no. No. A contractor at one of Rhonda and Jimmy's houses called the police after he discovered that Rhonda had taken a sledgehammer to the newly renovated bathroom because she believed people were living in her sink. Oh my God, that is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. Terrifying. So Rhonda was hospitalized and diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She was prescribed medication to manage her condition, but it doesn't sound like she always took it. And of course, she's also using drugs and alcohol, which are helping to create these paranoid delusions. By November of 2003, Rhonda's mother, Sherilyn Shotwell, was very concerned about her grandson, Ronnie, as both Rhonda and Jimmy did not seem competent to care for their child. CPS did a welfare check on Rhonda's mother's behalf, but they reported that Ronnie seemed healthy. At the time of the check, the house seemed clean. However, Sherilyn was still at the police station when she received an angry phone call from Rhonda and Jimmy. And since she was standing there, she put it on speaker, it sounds like, because it sounds like the police were somehow monitoring this call. So Rhonda had a history of mental health issues. And her mother had come to expect some delusional thinking from Rhonda. But now Jimmy was also on the phone saying some weird things. Like there was the normal, you put our son in jeopardy, you put our family situation in jeopardy. But now they were also saying... Both Jimmy and Rhonda were saying that Ronnie was the second coming of Jesus Christ, that Rhonda was like the Virgin Mary, and that their son was both Lucifer and God. So over the phone in front of the police, Jimmy totally seriously said that Ronnie could pull the stars from the sky and put them in their living room. Um, I will just go ahead and say that they're definitely on drugs. And the police agreed that at that point, it would be the most beneficial for the child to go live with his grandmother. Yes. Even just like right now. You know what I mean? Like, just, obviously, just for, just for a little while, y'all are like hallucinating yeah. or there's some like weird shit going on. But like any competent parent isn't going to like be citing that stuff on the phone with grandma. Yeah. And this is another occasion where essentially Rhonda's mother, Sherilyn, is doing something good and healthy for her daughter and for her grandson, which is she has to do this and that she's hoping that taking custody of Ronnie will be a wake-up call for her daughter, whom she loves very dearly, to get healthy, find the right doctor and set of medications that work with her and help her bipolar disorder. And she's still doing the right thing. She's getting involved. She's caring. She's loving. But this is another occasion where Rhonda, of course, sees this as plotting against her and trying to ruin her life. Which I'm sure that when you're already struggling with mental illness and you're doing street drugs, that seems like it would make sense. It would be like the whole conspiracy paranoia that everyone's out to get you and that they're trying to take your kid away. And, you know, there's no rationalization in that situation it would at be- all. Very heightened. You're absolutely correct. So, of course, Sherilyn filed for custody. A hearing was held and the court affirmed that decision. They decided that the grandmother should take custody of Ronnie. Rhonda had left Jimmy again. So Jimmy was staying in Austin and Rhonda moved. They had a house in Houston as well. So she moved to Houston to be closer to Sherilyn so that she could have visitation, which her mother allowed under a set of circumstances, which involved 
clean drug tests and making sure she was taking her bipolar medication. All sounds fair. All sounds fair. Unfortunately, during one of these visits, she took Ronnie out and she did not bring him home. Wow. Terrifying. Yeah. So he disappeared. Her mother filed a police report. They were trying to find him. And one of Rhonda's friends, a woman named Patty Swenson, who didn't know at this point that Rhonda wasn't allowed to have her son. Patty had been so close to Rhonda that she had testified on Rhonda's behalf at the custody hearing, claiming that Rhonda was a dedicated mother and that the Mary Jesus talk was simply a religious role play because Rhonda was very religious. That's what she said. And I don't know if she believed that or not, but she said at a time she really did believe that Rhonda was a very good mother. Okay. And Patty had also believed that Rhonda was telling the truth when she said the only reason she had drugs in her system, because that was proven at the hearing as well, was because Jimmy had forced her to do them and that her mother had cruelly plotted to take her child away from her. Oh, my God. However, when she saw Rhonda in April of 2004, she began to get very concerned. Patty and Rhonda had taken their kids to this place. Sounds like kind of like a Dave and Buster's type situation. It was like this place where the kids could go and play video games while the adults could sit and drink and eat at a bar. And during this visit, Rhonda claimed that Jimmy was not only Satan, but also involved in doing crack cocaine, child pornography, and cloning. According to Rhonda, she believed that he was trying to clone Ronnie. So he's Satan, but he's also a scientist. He's Satan, scientist, child pornographer, crack cocaine user. Yes. Already Patty is like, okay, I don't know. And then she says, well, there's only one thing to do at this point, given that he's so evil. I have to kill him. And then Rhonda went on to tell Patty her plan for killing Jimmy. She said that she was going to convince Jimmy to take her shopping for sexy lingerie and sex toys to make sure he was interested. And at home, she would seduce him and then handcuff him to the bed. At that point, she would cut off his penis and set the house on fire while he was handcuffed to the bed. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine being Patty in this situation? Like, your kids are just, like, over there playing Ms. Pac-Man. You're thrown off back a drink. Yeah, you're just, like, trying to have a nice glass of wine with your girlfriend while the kids are playing games. Wow. Also, that's so graphic. It's really graphic. It's Lorena Bobbitt meets Firestarter over here. Yeah, it's, whoa. So Patty was naturally horrified. And she, number one, said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And no, he's not really Satan. And you guys just need to not see each other anymore, obviously. And let's not kill anyone because that'll get you in more trouble and you'll never get to see your, your son. Yeah. And barkeeper, can I please have another? <laughs> Actually, just give me the whole bottle. <laughs> just give me the whole bottle. Yeah. And she said, though, that Rhonda seemed pretty serious and said, I know what the consequences are but I have to do it to take Satan out of the world. So at that point, Patty did end up calling the police non-emergency number. God, okay. But no actions were ever made. She doesn't know where things ended up or why they never followed up with her. And then Patty didn't end up seeing Rhonda ever again, basically, until much later. 
And three months just about after that last play date, Jimmy Joe's body was found in his Austin home riddled with bullets. Oh, whoa, that's terrifying. Yeah. So originally, of course, we're back to finding Jimmy's body. The investigators were concerned that Rhonda and Ronnie had been abducted. But now after they just pulled Rhonda's record and they had the record of the incident with the employee, they had what Patty had said, and they also have a whole long list of 911 calls that she had made while she was not mentally well. So they're thinking that they know who killed Jimmy Jost at this point. The autopsy showed that Jimmy had been shot 10 times. The bullets piercing his spleen, liver, both lungs, as well as his heart. The angle of at least one of the bullets indicated that Jimmy had been lying on the ground when his attacker shot him from above. It seemed that somebody had surprised him, shot him while advancing upon him, the last of which being while he was lying down. The investigators also found a business card of a shooting range. They discovered that Rhonda had recently purchased a gun. It was a Glock and had trained specifically to shoot someone in her Austin house. She had not only been training at a gun range in Austin, she'd also been training at a gun range in Houston. And she had told her instructors that she believed that somebody had been breaking into her Austin house when she wasn't there and that she wanted to defend herself if they came in when she was home or if she came home and realized that there was a stranger in her house. So I'm not sure if she just gave them pictures or a blueprint or something, but she very specifically said, this is the layout of my house. How would I kill somebody from this angle? How would I shoot somebody from this angle, surprise them? And one of her scenarios was somebody sitting on her couch with their back to her. And the instructor even said to her, well, if that's the case, if they're sitting on the couch with their back to you and you're catching them unaware, you leave the house. You don't shoot them. So yeah, she had been at the gun range in Austin that very morning, the morning of when they believe, based on the autopsy, that she had also killed Jimmy. So they believe she got a little last-minute little last minute practice in before she went for it. God. Yeah, she had to try to figure out the answer to her question that no one would answer. No one would answer because they'd say, you get the hell out of your house and you call the police and say somebody's inside. You don't shoot the person. You're just trying to figure out how to murder everyone in your house. Yes. <laughs> so they came to the conclusion that on July 21st, 2004, she had started her day at the gun range. At some point, either before she went to the range or after, she had rented an RV. And then she had gone back to the house where she lured Jimmy to the home, likely telling him that she wanted to reconcile and then surprised him by ambushing him. So obviously they know that she rented an RV. So they're following up on that. And they also had looked at her ATF application to get her firearm to buy the gun that she used to shoot Jimmy. And she realized that she had provided false information on that. She'd used a different last name. That's a crime, is lying on uh, an application to get a gun and filing incorrect information with the ATF. So they put out a warrant for her arrest for a firearms violation. So they're not going after her for murder just yet. They're just saying there's a warrant out for arrest for a firearms violation. We know we can get her on that and then see what's going on here. Hey, your boyfriend also just so happened to be shot 10 times in his home. So 
Yes, and they found the RV place because they traced phone records back from the Austin home, and they found that she had made calls to an RV place in Round Rock, Texas. So they were able to confirm that on July 21st as well, she had gone to get an RV. She told the people that she was taking a road trip with her son. The RV had... Birthday week. It is her birthday week, yeah. The RV had GPS on it. So authorities very quickly were able to track her down in Kansas, where on July 27th, 2004, the day after her birthday, they pulled her over and arrested her. And luckily, young Ronnie was safe. So they believe that she was trying to get into Canada at that point. Oh. That's where she was headed. She told them she was coming back from Nashville, is I think what she said. So Rhonda was questioned. And at first, she tried to act like she didn't even know that there was a dead body at her house. When asked specifically about Jimmy, Rhonda said that she had left him because Jimmy was worshiping the devil and that he was claiming that Lucifer was going to possess their son. That's not going to help your case. No, it gets even weirder. Rhonda made further claims that Jimmy was in league with the then president, George W. Bush, and that they and other devil worshipers were murdering children in caves below her house. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, there is something called Cave X, which was a cave that I think had some special like waters or something in it that was located near their home. But basically, people in the area said that there was no way to get into this because I guess it's part of like a school or something. So this Cave X, anyway, she said that not only was George W. Bush and Jimmy holding devil worshiping ceremonies in Cave X, that there was also some sort of gay sex ritual party going on in it, too. And that Jimmy was having sex with gay escorts and these men that were crawling in and out of Cave X. Um, She's saying this in the interrogation. Also, how do we get tickets to that? <laughs> like a gay rave in a cave? I'm so down. Gay rave in a cave with some devil worshippers. At some point in the interrogation, she even told the investigators that she believed that John Wayne Gacy was Jimmy's father. Oh, she's all over the place. She took out a dollar bill at one point and was like, if you rearrange the letters, it says, like, Austin is Satan's ally or something. Like, she was going for it. So Rhonda went on to say that Jimmy had also been accused of, quote, chopping off his mother's head in the 1970s. Now, this story is not true, obviously, but it did actually have some basis in reality. Detectives would later find out that Jimmy's mother, a woman named Barbara, had had an affair with a married man in the 1970s. When the wife of the man found out, she had attacked Barbara with a knife, leaving Barbara with some pretty bad injuries. Oh, my God. Yep. So Barbara had never pressed charges because she didn't want the whole event and her extramarital affair to be publicized and any people to know about this. So she ended up dying more than 20 years after that incident, completely unrelated to that attack. So while there was a case that his mother had been at once attacked, there had never been any at all suspicion that he was involved in it whatsoever. In fact, he wasn't even at home at the time. Yeah, that's some Game of Thrones shit. Yeah, so the detectives are seriously like, what the actual fuck is going on at this point? Because they don't even know what thread to pull on. Like, this is all the stuff that she's thrown at them. They're like, 
we're losing track of where she's going and what she's saying and what this narrative is. And they're like losing the point, which is getting her to confess to killing Jimmy. They're trying to get her to confess to killing Jimmy. And she's like all over the place. So they finally are like, look, Jimmy's dead. We know you shot him. Here is a pile of evidence that show because she had bought ammunition that was used on Jimmy that same day at the gun range. They're like, we've got this evidence. We know you did this. We know that you were at the gun range this morning. So let's just cut to the chase. Now, when they tell her that they've got her, at that point, she admits that she had indeed shot Jimmy to death. She said that she had stopped at the Austin house to hide her gun in a Christmas stocking in the attic. She said she was doing this because she was going to take that road trip with her son in the RV, and she didn't want him to have access to the gun while they were in the RV. And she thought he'd find it and he could injure herself or himself. So she was close by enough to the Austin house, and she was like, I'll just stick it in my Christmas stocking in the attic. Nobody will know it's there. That's what she says. She said that while she was doing that, Jimmy came home and attacked her. She said that she had tried to be quiet in the attic, hoping she could sneak out. But he came up the stairs and while she was leaving the attic, attacked her in the upper stairway. He said that he called her an effing bitch and told her he was going to kill her, which is really interesting because those were the exact words she used with her former employee. You're an effing B and I'm going to kill you is exactly what they have on record. And she's saying that Jimmy said that to her. She said that his voice wasn't human when he said this, that it was instead like it was a demonic voice. And they also have all of her calls saying that the demons lived in her walls as well. Exactly. After being attacked, Rhonda said that she was fighting for her life. So she emptied the gun into Jimmy in self-defense. Now, the police knew that she had walked through a scenario like this almost exactly because one of the scenarios she'd asked the shooting instructor about was one specifically where she was coming out of her attic. So they're like, okay, this is great. You just are setting this up for us because we have somebody that can testify that you asked somebody to teach you how to shoot leaving your attic in this exact scenario. So that's looking pretty good for premeditation. After she admitted she killed Jimmy, Rhonda Glover was arrested and held in custody while the court system determined if she was competent enough to stand trial, which is a big question given this interrogation. While they were extraditing her back to Texas and getting her son back into his grandmother's custody, thank goodness, the investigators continued to interview those close to Jimmy and collect even more evidence. Jimmy's friends say that Jimmy, who, like I said, he had come from money, he'd also generated a lot of his own wealth, was broke at the time that he was murdered, or at least broke based on multimillionaire standards. His close friends said that he had confided in them that he was down to his last $50,000 in the bank. Yeah, that's crazy for a multimillionaire. <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's like $5 like, for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a multimillionaire, the last 50K is he's really hurting. Yeah, he was down to his last $50,000. I guess some of his oil had dried up, some investments went south. And of course, he had spent millions of dollars trying to keep Rhonda happy over the years. Only a few months, I believe, before he was murdered, he had proposed to Rhonda 
with a $350,000 diamond ring. You shut the fuck up. Yeah, that is $550,000 in today's money. Half a million dollar ring. Half a million? What are you? Jennifer Lopez, what is going on here? You mean Jennifer Affleck. (laughs) Jennifer Affleck, excuse me. Yeah, Jenny from the block with the big old rock over there. So there was like conflicting reports. Like she said that she said no, but she had the ring. So I don't know how how you work that deal out because I'm pretty sure that you have to say yes to get the ring. No, but let me just see that. Let me test run it for a little while. Let me just try it on. And then if I change my mind, I'll return it to you or I'll keep it on. We'll see. But yeah, so she would later say that she said no to him, but she took the ring because she wanted security for her son because Jimmy didn't always give her the money that he promised her for their child. Now, one thing his friends did say, one thing that his friends said that about Jimmy was that even though he was like warm and generous and kind and all of these good attributes, he did somewhat use his monetary situation to get Rhonda back interested in him. So he would sometimes withhold giving her money if she hadn't seen him for a while And I don't know if this was, there wasn't any court-ordered child support. I'm not really sure what their official arrangement was. I don't even know if they had an official arrangement. But his friends did say that it was one thing that he tried to do because it was the only way he could have any control over their romantic situation at all. Yeah, I mean, it could have also been, like, he could have also been paying for things for Ronnie and her extra things he could have been withholding, you know? Yes, Absolutely. I don't know the whole situation, but yeah. So Jimmy's friend said, though, right before he was murdered, that he believed that Rhonda was coming back to Austin so that they could pack up the house and travel in the RV to Canada, where they were going to start a new healthy life away from everything together. Away from the crimes that you committed. Yeah, that's what essentially his friends said. They said that he was actually like giving away some of his things because he was getting ready to move with Rhonda for a fresh start. So sad. And he wasn't broke by any stretch of the imagination, too. Later on, when Jimmy's estate was settled, it would turn out that his assets were $650,000 back in 2004. And that's over a million dollars in today's money. Yeah, and they could always, I mean, they have half a mil on her finger. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the problem with those things, though, is that once you resell them, they drop in value so much. Once you drive it off a lot. Yeah, it's exactly one of those situations. Because I think it was like a custom job and everything. So Jimmy's attorney said that in his will, Jimmy stipulated that Rhonda would receive the modern-day equivalent of $7,800 a month for the rest of her life. That's not including Ronnie. Ronnie, I think, was provided for the vast majority of his estate. That $7,800 was just for Rhonda. But she wasn't going to get it if she was convicted of his murder. That was in the will? Well, no, I think that's what his attorney said, that they would be void. I don't know if he wrote it, but the attorney said that she wasn't going to get it if she was caught murdering him, which I think is... Maybe it's just a law that you can't financially benefit from your crime. I hope so. I hope that's like a blanket law. (laughs) Yeah, like you don't, I don't think you get the life insurance money if you cause the death. (laughs) Hopefully not the inheritance either. His attorney said he, she would not get it. So let's get to the trial. and Let's talk about how this all went down. 
And I think that this was the complicated part for me personally. There's a lot of gray areas in this case. A lot of times we cover cases that there's just such a clear bad player in it. Yeah. Yep. And this is one where we don't really know the ins and outs of their relationship. Jimmy can't tell us for real. So we have a lot of people looking on the outside. Rhonda is a very unreliable narrator. We can't trust anything that she says. And she is also, and this is the complicated question, I think, for prosecuting her. I think it's pretty obvious that she's mentally ill, very mentally ill. Now, she maintains to this day that she was misdiagnosed and that she does not have bipolar disorder. She claims that her psychosis was based on the drugs that she was on. And she's talking about the ones that she was prescribed by her psychiatrist and not particularly the ones that she said Jimmy made her do, but maybe that interaction certainly would help. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, regardless of her diagnosis, it's very clear, and there's a lot of official paperwork that demonstrates that Rhonda was suffering from delusional thinking, and she was not in a good mental place when she killed Jimmy, and also she was not in a good mental place when she was questioned by the police. An Austin officer went on to say the following. At the time of her arrest and after being returned to Austin to face charges, Rhonda Glover was incredibly delusional. Her grasp of reality, if it existed at all, was tenuous at best. In her mind, she had been attacked by the Antichrist, defended herself, and feared Jimmy's devil-worshipping associates more than she feared prosecution under the law. And we've had a lot of malingerers on this show, people who get caught so badly and with so much evidence that they feign mental illness in an attempt to get a shorter sentence. But Rhonda Glover is not one of those people. Unfortunately for her, she was in Texas, which at least at the time of this crime, had one of the most restrictive insanity defense guidelines in all of the United States. She was first evaluated by a psychiatrist who determined that she was not competent to stand trial as she could not reliably help her attorney who was defending her. Wow. Okay. So they sent Rhonda to a psychiatric hospital to recover and see if she was going to come out of this psychosis, if there was any way she'd ever be able to assist in her own defense. Under the hospital's care, Rhonda actually flourished. And I guess that they say even without medication, Sometimes, depending on certain disorders, just having a routine and taking away a lot of the daily stresses and the excesses and, you know, mixing medications and alcohol and all these things that somebody can improve just by being in a structured setting. So she seemed to recover and she was eventually deemed competent enough to aid in her own defense. But the big question was, are they going to allow her to plead the insanity defense, given that at the time of the crime, she was not in a good mental headspace? And that was a big old no. She could not plead the insanity defense. In Texas, at least in 2004, 2005, you could only plead insanity when the defendant truly did not know right from wrong. They would have to truly not know that killing was wrong. And so when Rhonda was interviewed by multiple mental health professionals, even in her psychosis, she knew that killing Jimmy was wrong, but she believed that she had to do it for a greater good, as in God wanted her to do it even though it was wrong. And that's not good enough, apparently, in this time frame in Texas to 
be able to go for the insanity defense. That is wild. It is wild because if there's ever been somebody we've talked about who I believe very convincingly could win on insanity defense, it would be Rhonda Glover. Yeah, but you said that's only Texas that has that law. I think that every state has varying degrees. I was like watching one of Bob's, this Bob Mata from the Defense Diaries guys, on one of his TikToks, and he was talking about with the Idaho murders that he wasn't going to be able to do the insanity defense because I think that Idaho is another state that doesn't allow it or has strict restrictions around it. Now, I'm just referencing a TikTok I saw in passing, so I'm not entirely positive. Don't hold me to it, Idaho. But I do believe that different states have different parameters around being qualified to plead that or if you're allowed to do it at all. Yeah, okay. But that also means that they can't, the defense is not allowed to use her mental state as a defense at all. So at that point, her attorneys were left with going with the self-defense story. That's what they had to go with. So that's exactly what they ran with when Rhonda's trial began in February of 2006. They argued that Jimmy had been continuously abusive to Rhonda throughout their 15-year relationship. The police report for the Barton Creek Country Club incident was entered into evidence, as well as the fact that Jimmy had pleaded no contest to family violence in that occurrence. Rhonda's attorney argued in his opening statement that Jimmy Jost was a man of proven violence and abuse, a man who struck fear into the heart of Rhonda Glover and a man whom Rhonda was forced to shoot in self-defense. And the prosecutor said, mm, I don't think so. They argued that the forensic evidence did not indicate that there had been a struggle at all and instead indicated that Rhonda had cold-bloodedly executed Jimmy. They interviewed gun range employees in both Houston and Austin who testified that Rhonda had asked to be trained to kill intruders in her home, even bringing in plans of her house to figure out how she could tactically attack people in different positions in her home. Jimmy's friends testified to witnessing Rhonda abusing Jimmy and said that he was submissive to a very dominant Rhonda. Former friend Patty Swenson testified that Rhonda had been plotting to kill Jimmy months prior to the shooting. Yeah, that's premeditation right there. It is because she was already talking about her plans. An inmate who had been housed with Rhonda claimed that she had admitted to the shooting and that the motive hadn't been devil worshiping or that Jimmy was Satan incarnate, but instead a much more pedestrian reason for murder. She said that Rhonda told her that Jimmy had allegedly stopped giving her money and that she had discovered evidence that he had been going to strip clubs and spending money there instead, fooling around on her, but also giving money to other women that were not her. Which kind of tracks because he was running out of money. And they said that if there's anything he was really addicted to, it was beautiful women. So maybe a stress relief activity for him was going to a strip club. Now, Rhonda said that this woman was a liar, of course, because she was interviewed by Burl Bear and she said that she never said that and this woman completely made it up. Rhonda took the stand in her own defense and she claimed that Jimmy was a drug-addicted abuser whom she had lived in great fear of. Furthermore, she stood by her assertion that Jimmy was a child molester. Now, we don't know if her attorney wanted her to say this at all because they had actually told her she could step down from the stand. And she was like, well, I thought I was going to get to talk about how he molested my son. And everyone's like, whoa, where did this come from? Because there was absolutely no evidence that that was at all even suspected. 
How did they react when she started talking about that? The prosecutor or whatever uh, objected and the defense was like, let it go. <laughs> Let's go. Get down. So, yeah, Rhonda was really erratic on the stand. She was overly emotional and overwrought when her attorney was questioning her. But then she flipped when the prosecutor was coming at her in cross-examination and got very angry, rude, cold and combative. And it was like whiplash. You're watching somebody who's clearly got some emotional issues. So she wasn't doing herself any favors on the stand, but that might have been the point. So author Burl Bearer wrote, Perhaps her attorney's strategy in putting Rhonda on the stand was to let the jury experience Rhonda Glover. If he couldn't introduce evidence or testimony of her mental illness during the guilt or innocence phase, he could dramatically demonstrate it by putting his client on the stand. It's smart, but... It did not work out for them. Yeah, but you got to like at least try. You know what I mean? He tried. Gotta give it he the threw old... the spaghetti against the wall and it did not stick. After less than three hours of deliberation, the jury delivered a guilty verdict. Yeah, I mean, I'd say she's pretty guilty. She is pretty guilty. And she did admit on the stand under cross-examination that she killed him. She's like, yes, I killed him. I Yes, I shot him. So it depends how literal do you want to go with... Your verdict. Rhonda was sentenced to 46 years behind bars and will be eligible for parole in 2027 at the earliest. Oh, wow. I think her release date is 2050, but she's eligible for parole starting in 2027. Doesn't mean she's going to get out then. And is she getting any sort of like mental? I guess she's denying that she has any. She's that's I knew you were going to ask me that because literally, Andy. No, no, no. I'm glad you asked me because my next line was answering that question because I knew I could hear your voice in my head while I was writing this. And I was like, Andy's going to ask me. We are like so, so in sync right now, baby. So I literally the next line is. Rhonda is still insisting that she is not mentally ill. I don't think that's going to do her any favors. Nope. And the, she actually said, Burl Bearer talks a lot about the things she said in their interviews, obviously, in his book. And she said specifically about the subject of her mental illness. My son asked me why I don't just admit that I'm crazy. Well, I won't do that. I'm not going to say I'm crazy. I've been tested here in prison and I'm fine. I don't have mental illness at all. You can see the test results yourself. Well, obviously there was something seriously wrong with me to stay in such a dysfunctional relationship. The only thing that was crazy was that I was involved with Jimmy Jost. I mean, she has like an internal stigma about it because she's using the word crazy. And it's not just because you have mental illness doesn't mean you're crazy. It means that you need to like do some extra work on yourself and possibly take medication. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, is it their fault if they get cancer? Is it somebody's fault, like, if they have diabetes? No, you you figure out what you need to do. If you're sick and you need to adopt a different diet, if you have to take medications, if you have to go for treatments, that's what we do when our bodies are sick all of the time. And we have to erase that stigma around mental illness because it doesn't mean anything other than, like, somebody getting breast cancer. Yeah, I mean, and your brain is part of your body. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah, and I definitely want all of you guys to know at home that we do not think that just because she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, that made her more likely to be this type of person or not be a great mother because I know people who have bipolar who are literally have a friend who's the best mother, like puts me to shame sometimes how great a mom she is. And it's because 
she has treated her bipolar disorder and she takes very serious steps to make sure she's healthy and happy and the best person and mother that she can be. And I'm sure her son wants to be with her too, which is hopefully, I mean, sometimes it just takes time for someone to realize that they need to help themselves. And maybe if he continues to talk to her and encourage her, maybe she can like have some sort of awakening while she's incarcerated and hopefully be able to work on it. And then maybe she'd be able to be released and spend some time with him. Yeah, I don't I don't know if she's going to come to that conclusion, though, because I found a couple profiles on like writer prisoner type sites on wireofhope.com. Rhonda is listed as 56 years old, includes some very flattering photos of her from prior to her incarceration. I think there's one picture of her from while she's in prison. I mean, how do you even get those? I mean, she's using a lot of the photos that are widely available on the Internet. So I, I mean, feel like she's... that's what you would have to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She writes that she is Catholic and enjoys singing in the choir. She says, quote, I am learning belly dancing and to salsa better. I like to work out with techno music and at home in a bodybuilding gym. She goes on to talk about religion, Jesus, and forgiveness, stating that she's a conservative, family-oriented lady. And she concludes her Wire of Hope profile by saying the following. I can provide you with a link to some exhibits online that tell a completely opposite story than what the prosecutors told my jury and the media exclamation mark. The things being said about me are true, but about my ex's ex-girlfriend, Rhonda, not me. So it made it easier to say Rhonda did this or that because she did exclamation mark, exclamation mark, write me and I will send you the link to my exhibits, exclamation mark. I look forward to interesting mail and intelligent conversations. Peace, love and prayers. She's blaming it all on Rhonda one. She's unwell. Yeah, and on prisonconnections.com, she also has a profile and she claims innocence once again. And she also brings up the fact that she was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder and that the only reason she is incarcerated was because she suffered psychosis due to the meds her former doctor put her on. So that's her story and she's sticking to it. Well, she's sticking to like one of those few stories because there's two different stories there. She also brought up to the author, Burl Bearer, that Jimmy had sent men into the house to kill her and they ended up killing him instead. And so she didn't actually even shoot him. There's been... So that's a third story. That's a third story. So yeah, she's sticking to anything, but I killed him because I was angry that he wasn't giving me money anymore. I don't know. But that's why this was so hard a case for me to write is because like I usually have such a, a handle on kind of who the people are. You can't on this one. You can't. But you can't. I have like no idea what this relationship was really like. I can't tell you guys. I just know that I wish that Rhonda would get help and I feel very badly for her family and of course Jimmy's family and loved ones for sure. But I also don't know if this was the right type of justice or treatment that she needed. Yeah, I mean, if they're not able to provide any sort of mental illness assistance in prison, then I don't know. You know what I mean? If that was an appropriate sentence. Seems like she's just going to kind of be running in place there. Yeah, and I, I also would be concerned for future partners of hers if she does get out. So I don't know. That's why this one was tricky for me. We're left with a lot of question marks. There's a lot of cues there. Yeah. In conclusion, I do think that after 15 years in a relationship, if you're still having these huge fights in this roller coaster relationship, 
you might want to just call it a day and see what else is out there. By all accounts, Rhonda and Jimmy were both really interesting, dynamic, attractive people. There's plenty of fish in the sea. So go on, get out there, see what's out the wide world that could bring you happiness and joy. Yeah, and when you're doing that, if you've already dated two Rondas, maybe look for something else. I feel like one Ronda is enough, and then you've got two Rondas. That's at least one Ronda too many. It's one Ronda too many. Let's see who else there is out there. And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murdered. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.